Custody cases have a tendency to get ugly. A partner you once adored can turn on you, using every intimate detail you've shared with them to get back at you. But could a choice you made for a couple of weeks cost you your kids or your life? I'm M. William Phelps, an investigative journalist and author of 40-plus true crime books. I've dedicated the past 20 years of my life to helping families of the missing and murdered. Join me. We're crossing the line. So, crime is low in Sweden, and the government is often heralded as being one of the most morally fair in Europe, a role model for other countries in the EU. Today, we're going to talk about a little-known case. And when I say little-known, I mean, you haven't heard about this case. And it centers on a courageous woman who didn't shy away from speaking up for those who needed her and speaking out against an unfair system that cheated her at every single turn. I mean, you're not going to believe this. It's outrageous. And it ended up taking away everything, everything this woman had. I'm not Swedish, obviously, and I'm going to mess up some of these names, but I'm going to do the best job that I can. So please, if you are Swedish, don't be offended by my pronunciations. I, I, don't, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> I'm trying my best. In 2009, Ava Marie Kulander-Smith had an eight-month-old daughter and was pregnant with her second child. The petite blonde was happy, positive, and described as a kind young woman. But her home life had become a boxing ring, violent and dangerous. Her partner, the father of her children, Yoel Karungi Kabagambi, was experiencing increasingly frequent violent outbursts. Concerned about the safety of herself and her children, Ava Marie reached out to local social services. And what they do is they encourage her to leave Yoel. Not wanting to raise her children in a household filled with domestic violence and drug abuse, she agrees. It's the right decision. She doesn't need much more convincing than, you know, being beat up every other day. So she packs up her kids and whatever she can carry and walks out of that house. Ava Marie was doing what she should for her kids' safety. As you know from cases I've covered previously on Crossing the Line, it takes women an average of, and this is incredible, seven times before they actually leave an abusive partner, if they are alive to do so. And here's the thing, flying in the face of those statistics, Ava stays gone. But as happens with many women leaving abusive relationships, Ava Marie realized her finances weren't enough to support herself and her two children. It's the same dilemma that causes many women to stay or go back. It's a double-edged sword here. Ava Marie decided to stick to her decision come hell or high water. A few months after the birth of her second child, instead of going back to an abusive household and getting the shit kicked out of her again Every other day, she resorts to the oldest profession and begins working as an escort in Stockholm under the pseudonym Petite Jasmine. Now, before you judge, 
Sex work in Sweden is not viewed socially through the same judgmental and dark lens as it is in the United States. In fact, while it's illegal to purchase sex, it's perfectly legal to be a sex worker. It's not entirely smiled upon by the government, but it is legal. All right. This is what is called the Nordic model. So it's an important distinction where I see what they were trying to do, which is decriminalize the sex work itself to protect the people doing the work. You know, I mean, we see it in the United States all the time where sex work, just because you make it illegal and you, you know, arrest sex workers all of the time, it doesn't eradicate it. And in fact, what it often does is really re-traumatize and re-victimize some more vulnerable People. Well, it puts these women in danger too, right? I mean, more exactly. danger, right? Because it's not regulated. There's no protection. So they have to have right. uh, what are called pimps, I guess. Is that okay to say that? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's the, okay. yep. Or traffickers Tra- or, right. you know. Right. Yeah. And by the way, that's Catherine, my executive producer. Hi. Who you hear from time to time pop in with her great ideas and great commentary. I can say a lot about sex work. It's not something I have personal experience with, but it it's something I'm like, I don't know why I'm very passionate about it and about sex workers' rights. And I mean, that's why like this story in particular, I think really means a lot to me. Right. You brought this story to me and yeah. I had never heard of it. And certainly I would reckon that 95% of the people listening have not heard of this case. And so right. you were passionate enough to bring it to me and we're doing it. And it was yeah. difficult to find information about this case. It really was. Right. Because a lot of the information, too, is not in English. And so, right. you know, there's a lot of time that's gone by since this has happened. You know, it was in the early 2010s and hasn't really been written about much. And it's incredible because of the context, because of what happens in this story. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I mean, it. well, let's get into it. I mean, two weeks into her new job, Ava Marie had built a base of five clients. These are regular Johns. She says she enjoyed the work and her clients are respectful. Look, this isn't her dream job, obviously, but she is making money on her own to take care of her children. That's her goal. She's not going to go back to the abusive husband. She's going to take care of her kids on her own. And she chose this five clients, big freaking deal. Excited about her new career, she tells a cousin she is close to, assuming her cousin will be supportive and non judgmental, as many Swedes are about the subject, by the way. However, the cousin is concerned about Ava Marie's choices, huh? an adult making choices for herself and her kids, the cousin's concerned, and reports her to social services. Even worse, the cousin tells Ava Marie's abusive ex, Yoel, about her new job. It's, I mean, the fact that she went and told an abusive partner about this really feels like stirring up trouble. I mean, if you can't count on family to have your back, then who can you even count on? And this is a volatile situation. She doesn't know what Yoel's going to do. Yeah. I'm just blown away by this piece of information in the story. And this is only the beginning. I mean, my rage, I feel, is bubbling already. And, you know, after this, things take a rabid turn. According to Ava Marie's mother, Zanitha Smith-Westberg, social services burst into Ava Marie's flat unannounced. They pull the children out of her arms without any explanation. And placed him with, guess who? Yoel, her ex. The abuser. 
A few days later, Ava Marie is summoned to social services. They bring in her kids and proceed to tell her in front of her young children that it's the last time she will ever see them. So Ava Marie is effectively not only abused by the kid's father, but also by social services. Ultimately, social services deem Ava Marie unable to take care of her children due to her choice of a legal, a legal profession. While Yoel is a documented violent offender and had previous drug charges as well as restraining orders from other women he had abused in the past, is there a less fit parent on the planet to give these kids to? There's all this conversation around believe women and Ava Marie is saying these things. He's also been documented as being, you know, he's got drug charges, he's got these other things. But also, like, there are previous exes who have, you know, had restraining orders and these other things. It's like, how many more times do you have to see this before you believe that someone's a violent abuser? And and to tell her in front of her kids, you're never going to see them. I mean, th- Horrifying. they just keep on abusing this woman. And can you imagine as a child, her kids are little at this time. Right. We're talking three, four, or five. Right. Like, can you imagine what that would do to that child? And and look, this story is just like a, a snowball at the top of a hill yeah. that starts rolling down and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. This is only the beginning of, of really what she goes through. The social services determine that a scumbag, a violent drug trafficking Yoel to be the doting father and the sole parent rather than a woman who has been supporting her family with sex work. That's legal for two weeks. Mm -hmm. For two weeks, all right? Right. We're not talking like a long time. And she's had no previous issues with parenting or the law. And she's working legally. Ava Marie has no actual charges against her. She isn't breaking any laws. More importantly, her children weren't exposed to the work that she is doing. So I'm just baffled by all of this. And we're going to talk about that more later, okay? Ava Marie's neighbor, Taria Pananen, recalls seeing the children crying as they were taken away. She said Ava Marie was very sweet to her children and loved them more than anything. They all seemed happy together. She found it impossible that Ava Marie could have harmed her children. And Taria wasn't simply a friend. All right. She trained in child psychology. So she had wisdom and expertise on the topic. She's the one to ask about this stuff. Okay. Taria makes it clear that social services is welcome to contact her as a character witness in order to better understand that Ava Marie was not an unfit mother. But you know what? What do they do? They refuse to discuss the matter any further. They, look, this social service is determined to keep these kids. With the abuser. Why? I don't know. Look, Ava Marie went to work, made her money, came home, took care of her kids like any other working single mom. She wasn't a junkie, <laughs> a drug abusing sex worker bringing John's home. She had a job. Right. And this is where that argument of sex work is work comes into play. She was doing something responsible. Also, like, She had five jobs. I mean, she's not walking the streets. And even if she was, okay, she's doing that. But it's a job. You know, they're judging her. I mean, this is all about judgment. It's all about putting a label on this woman's forehead. Right. You know, and saying, we disagree with the way you have chosen to live your life. We don't care about the abuser. 
right? Exactly. And for a lot of women, this is the only and best way to provide for their families. She needed a quick way to make money to take care of her kids. And she chose this Mm -hmm. because it's legal. If it -hmm. it was illegal, she wouldn't have done it. I am confident of that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. After losing custody of her children, Ava Marie decided to stop working as an escort. She'd play the game to get her kids back as quickly as possible because she loved them and wanted to be with them, but also because they were now living with a violent loser abuser. And look, we know he hit her. He's going to hit those kids that there's no doubt about that. Okay. Ava Marie desperately tried to gain visitation rights time and again to see her children, but was routinely ignored. Her experience as a sex worker only lasted two weeks, but she had seemingly been condemned for a lifetime. She was at odds here about what to do next. And so that desperation causes her to take a very unexpected approach. We'll be right back after a short break, and we'll get into that part of this. To fully understand Ava Marie's story, I think we need to talk for a moment about the legality surrounding sex work in Sweden. Sweden is widely known as one of the pioneering countries when it comes to the revolution of social laws. From the beginning of the 50s through the end of the 70s, Sweden transformed Scandinavia into the symbol of sexual liberation. In the 1980s, however, things took a more conservative turn in regards to sex workers. In the name of women's rights, Sweden voted to eradicate all forms of sexual work. But then in 1999, here's what happens. Sweden became the first country in the world evoking fines only to clients of sex workers, Johns in other words, they were punished. While some believe it was groundbreaking to shift responsibility onto the demand rather than the supply side of things, others argue that the law has simply forced sex workers underground where they are still offered zero protection. They had the best of intentions, but what really happened is that, for example, let's say a working girl is on the street. And this is like something you see in every movie where you see a working girl and she's out there and she sort of like leans into the window of a car. She's chatting with a John. She's establishing her rates, her services, what she will and won't do, setting boundaries. And also, and I think especially as true crime lovers, the most important thing, she's getting a read on the guy. She's getting a sense of who he is. She's getting a sense of if it's safe for her to get in that car. Right. But with this, because it cracked down on the Johns, they were the ones who were going to get arrested instead of the working girls. What happened then is they were really skittish. And so they'd be like, get in the car, get in the car. And in order to get the job, these sex workers, women, uh, men who were doing sex work, have to get in the car right away and immediately go to a second location with this person. And negotiate. And negotiate there if there is even a chance to negotiate. But by then, you're already in the car with someone that you haven't had a chance to get a read on. Right. And so that creates a really unsafe environment for the sex workers. You know, it's like, if you're going to legalize it, legalize it. Right, exactly. You you don't start stepping in and making rules and all of this. I mean, it's either legal or it's illegal. That's the way I I see it. I mean, I vote for it being legalized everywhere, you know? 
Right. And you can't make legislation or systems that protect people who are in a vulnerable position who have to resort to this kind of work or choose to resort to this kind of work until you acknowledge that it exists. Look, some people shovel shit for a living, right? They shovel shit all day long for 10 bucks an hour, Mm -hmm. right? So uh, it's not about the work, right? It's not about the work. The social services in Sweden has made this about the person, about women, specifically women, I think. Yeah. I I think it's, you know, it's a form of like social misogyny almost. Mm Mm-hmm. Jasmine Karam, a Swedish activist, explains that the government shames sex workers and tells them they are doing it by force, trafficking, or that they must be broken souls in need of psychological help, right? Sex workers were treated like victims of sexual violence, whether they consider themselves victims or not. They legalize and then they stigmatize. How about that for a contradiction? Of course, we know trafficking and coercion do exist, but we're talking here about those who are doing it by choice, okay? Ms. Karen believes the Swedish model, better known as the Nordic model of sex work, is a patriarchal law. It is supposed to protect women, but she feels it is, by contrast, controlling women's sexuality. She finds it to be a form of sexual shaming and finds it odd that they maintain this patriarchal structure in the name of feminism. They tell you it's okay, then they tell you you're wrong for doing it. Note that all this discussion about sex work is generated around women. But of course, there are people of all genders working in the sex trade, even as the conversation is not focused on them, just the women. Which just highlights to me, how patriarchal and driven by the male attitude toward female sexuality all this is. None of this sat right with Ava Marie. So she sought out Pi Jakobsen, the founder of the Rose Alliance, an association that fights for the rights of sex workers in Sweden. Ava Marie said, quote, it was the first time I met someone who didn't try to save me, someone who wasn't shocked and could accept that I had prostituted myself. She understood I was not on a path to self-destruction, end quote. Ava Marie wasn't feeding a drug habit, which is the go-to for ignorant men who judge a woman working in the sex trade. She wasn't an alcoholic. She needed a job, and she found work, period. Jakobsen says when Ava Marie came to her, she had a lot of hope and didn't yet realize how little chance sex workers in Sweden had if they fought the system. Those who live in Sweden often believe that it's the best country in the world, the most democratic, the most equal. This idea is instilled in Swedish citizens from a young age. Yet Ava Marie begins to quickly realize the stigma surrounding sex work runs very deep. And she decides, you know what? I'm going to do something about it. Look, I, I, I need to say this. I, I need to say that I don't want to sound like I'm bashing Sweden because, to be perfectly honest, I have a, an obsession with Norwegian culture. If you come to my house, oh. you'll see all kinds of books. You, There's a Swedish shop uh, not far from me. Uh, I've been obsessed with this culture for about 12 years, and I've never been there. And, and it's all based on a oh. show called New Scandinavian Cooking. I started watching this show. Oh. And and I fell in love with the culture, the food, the hills. Although strange enough to me is they have something there called rapeseed oil. 
And I don't, and I don't <laughs> know why they wouldn't change that name. But anyway, Ava Marie's lawyer, Yari Smolander, said that despite the fact that she had done nothing illegal, social services wouldn't even address the option of visitation rights. She'd done nothing illegal. They wouldn't let her see her own kids. They viewed her as a woman who had done something worthy of losing her children over, something that proved she was an unfit parent. Remember, they placed the kids with a guy who's abusive. Whereas scumbag Yoel, who had proven himself to be a convicted felon and an abuser time and again, had those kids. And you you have to ask yourself, would it be any different here in the U.S.? So this is actually how I originally found out about this story, because it isn't really anywhere. But I work on another show called Dear Chelsea, and on that, people write in asking for advice. And someone wrote in because they were a sex worker and they had been in a, a similar situation where their ex was trying to take away their kids because they had done sex work in the past. And I started Googling. I'm like, is it actually illegal? I mean, obviously it's illegal, but is it actually something you can lose your kids over in the U.S.? And it actually kind of is. It's a little bit of a legal gray area. But again, these custody battles are often decided on someone's character and kind of on like the sense that a judge gets of the person. Well, you know, look, that's a whole show to discuss Mm -hmm. that topic. And by the way, you know, Catherine does produce other shows. So, you know, working with Chelsea Handler, it's it's okay with me. (laughs) (laughs) But but anyway, that's a separate argument. But what you have to look at in this case is very important, very, very important. And it happens here. It does happen here. They give these kids back to an abuser. Yeah. And the person they've taken them from has done nothing illegal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Those are the facts. Those are the facts. They're not in dispute. But as I keep saying in this episode, this thing keeps getting worse and worse and worse until it finally, what? So you can't bend something and bend it and bend it and bend it. It's going to break, right? Yeah. So six months after her children were taken away, Ava Marie demanded an appearance in front of a judge. She's doing everything right here. The judge acknowledges that the placement with Yoel is unjustified, but decides that since the children had now been living with their father for some time, it would be a traumatizing ordeal for them to be uprooted again. That's the excuse. Okay. Yet despite that, the judge finally grants visitation rights to Ava Marie and even warns Yoel that he cannot prevent contact between the mother and her kids. So in a sense, Ava Marie wins. Okay. She gets to see the kids. But in keeping with his character, Yoel plays by his own rules. And that's what abusers do. Rules that are protected, in a sense, by the government. (laughs) For the next three years, Yoel is successfully able to keep Ava Marie from seeing her children. After the judge had told him not to. Again, for three years, she does not see her kids. Each time they were set to have a visit, Yoel canceled the day before. Ava Marie and her lawyer continued to alert social services, but they do nothing. Zero. Nothing. Just like they've done ever since this case started. They've done nothing. Ava Marie's mother, Zanitha, believes Yoel was doing this solely to punish Ava Marie. She had been his possession. She had broken free from him, turned him away, and he wielded the only control he had 
in his power over her. That's what narcissistic sociopaths do. But that wasn't enough for Yoel. Unhappy that this woman he viewed as his possession had full autonomy over her own body, he vowed to find other ways to punish Ava Marie. According to Pai Jakobson, Yoel started doing weird shit, even for him. He becomes obsessed with her, and the situation escalates. He drives around Ava Marie's block, taking down the license plates of all the cars parked near her flat. In his mind, they're all Johns, right? That's what he believes. Remember this. Obsessive and stalking behavior always escalates. It hardly ever de-escalates. Right. So he's abusive. He's starting to stalk. He's obsessed. Jakobsen feels this is clearly psychological abuse. It's no longer and maybe never was about what was best for the kids. I mean, it was never about what was best for the kids. Yoel continued to remain the children's sole caretaker, even though he showed increasingly paranoid, violent, obsessive, and erratic behavior, and not just toward Ava Marie. In 2010, he was convicted of assaulting a social worker with a frying pan. Crazy. The following year, he was sentenced to 50 hours of community service for threats made against a state officer. So again, there is documentation for all this. That stuff doesn't happen, and it gets shoved under the rug, like if it's someone in his family, it could be, or whatever. This right. is government officials. It's happening in open public forums. This guy's committing violence. And you know what? He still gets to keep the kids. Concerned about her children's well-being now, Ava Marie then decides to confront Yoel in front of the people's court. Her lawyer notes that Yoel came across as unstable and frightening during the court hearing. He demands to know the name of all the jurors, who they are, and even threatened a member of the court. Jakobsen attended the hearing and was convinced Ava Marie would get the kids back because Yoel, quote, was behaving like a raving lunatic and she was behaving like a sane, responsible person, end quote. Uh, Don't tell me. That's not what happened. That is not what happened. The court seemingly still believed it was better to entrust the care of the children to a violent man than their mother simply because of a two-week period of work in Ava Marie's life. Ava Marie loses another legal battle. She is not granted custody. Let's take another short break before this case takes a turn that you will not believe. After yet another loss in court, Ava Marie Kulander-Smith realized she was going to be punished her entire life for sleeping with five clients legally. Okay. So this is another thing that bugs me about the minutiae surrounding sex work is five clients. She's sleeping with five, you know, let's presume guys, and it's legal. But she's going through, of course, all of this stuff. The line between what's legal and illegal, especially here in the U.S., is so fine. We all know that, let's say, sleeping with someone for money is illegal in most parts of the U.S. However, the second there's a camera involved, it's legal. So you think about the porn industry, you think about cam girls, you think about all these different things. Literally, if there is a camera in the room and you are filming it, It's suddenly legal to sleep with someone 
as a job. But if there's no camera, I mean, it just becomes asinine at a point. If she had been sleeping with these five guys and not getting paid, would the stigma still be there? Who knows? Maybe so. It's all about insecurities with sex that people have and that they want to project onto other people. I mean, yeah. that's really that's what it, good point. Yeah, that's what it is. Even if there was no hope for herself, being the compassionate person Ava Marie was, she couldn't bear the thought that other women might suffer from the same injustices she endured. So she decides to keep her sex worker alias, Petite Jasmine, and become an activist against the stigmatization of sex workers. She spoke on many panels and wrote a blog titled Pleasure for Sale. One of her posts addressed the government's idea that paid sex work is by default coerced sex work, adding, I love writing and I would love to get paid for it too. That I charge does not mean that I dislike it. Ava Marie believed the Nordic model around sex work reinforces stigma, and she criticized the double standard that sex work is legal, but those who choose to do it cannot work safely because they are not protected by labor rights. She emphasizes that willing sex work between consenting adults is very different than abusive sexual practices, such as trafficking, rape, pedophilia, which of course exist all too frequently, but which are already covered by Sweden's penal code. Her message spread. Yeah. Many believed if anyone could change how people view sex work in Sweden, it was Ava Marie. She was young. She was new to the activist scene. And she had a subtle, sincere sweetness about her. Very likable, very eloquent, and very much in the right. Jakobsen believes that activism is what kept Ava Marie sane through all her disappointments with the courts and her separation from her children. Even if she couldn't do anything for her own situation, she was doing something for other sex workers who might find themselves in the same position in the future. It gave Ava Marie the energy she needed to keep going. It, it was power. It gave her control over something that she could hopefully change the future so someone wouldn't have to suffer like she did. Ava Marie's persistence eventually paid off. On Tuesday, July 9, 2013, she was allowed to see one of her children. Afterwards, she described the meeting on her Facebook page, which I think I'll have Catherine read for me, please. He threw himself into my arms, and we sat on the floor and hugged. He was drenched by my tears of joy, and I kissed his whole face and could not help but take in his whole being, his wonderful body, and his little hands and feet. My angel, my everything. I mean, that's beautiful. I mean, that's, that's how the woman is feeling after seeing her child, which had been kept from her. For three years. Two days later, on Thursday, July 11th, Ava Marie was allowed to meet with her other child at a social services office. Yoel insists on being there. Ava Marie could only say a few words to her child before an argument started. Instigator and scumbag Yoel hit Ava Marie in the full view of stunned social workers who separate the two of them. Finally, they are able to confine Yoel to the kitchen so he can calm down. The kitchen, however, was definitely not the best choice. Seething, Yoel picks up a sharp bread knife and runs back out toward Ava Marie. Unhinged, this man, who has perpetrated violence against women throughout his adult life, 
been arrested for assault and drug offenses, lunges at Ava Marie and, in a pure fit of premeditated rage, stabs her 31 times in her face and body, killing her in front of several social workers and no doubt in front of her own child. She was 27 years old. A female treatment assistant who was also seriously injured by the stabbing survives. An eyewitness says he has never seen such rage in all his life. Once Yoel realized what he'd done, he dropped the knife and called the police himself. He later claimed he didn't remember the incident due to a mixture of medications, more like a blackout rage. His lawyer, Martin Baskow, claims Yoel had been wrongly medicated given maximum doses of three anti-anxiety drugs. Now, these were all benzodiazepines, by the way. You know, Xanax, Clonopin, drugs in reality that should have contained his rage. (laughs) Uh, They would have put me to sleep. These drugs should not have exacerbated it, okay? Right, and who knows what else he was on to. Yeah, I mean, he went there to kill her. I'm convinced of that. Yeah. He was done, you know? Three days after the horrific murder, sex workers organized rallies around the world. Ava Marie symbolizes the failure of the Nordic model of sex work, which has influenced policies in other countries, including Iceland, Northern Ireland, France, and Canada. Despite these efforts, anyone who speaks against the Swedish sex worker model risks being marginalized. Frederick Federley a member of the European Parliament Center Party says when more stringent punishment was proposed by Parliament, he was the only one who opposed it. For his efforts, the guy was made fun of. Still, many had gone up to him later and told him they agreed, but they didn't think it was good for their career to speak publicly about it. They said, quote, fundamentally, you are right, but you need to understand that the important thing here is to work for the good of the party. Just follow the party line. Follow that party line. Fuck the people. Perhaps most chilling about this case is that Ava Marie had frequently told her mother that she was afraid Yoel would kill her one day. How many times have we heard a woman in a domestic violence situation like hers say this and it comes true? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I've talked about this on the show yet, but Phelps knows we had a situation in my apartment building where... The couple who lived below me, there was a murder-suicide attempt after many months of violent fighting. They had been sort of a couple who was like super lovey-dovey in the hallways, but we could hear them arguing and just really sort of insidious stuff. She would yell and he would really quietly say like these horrible, horrible things to her. And... It escalated, as these things do. I know there was some drug stuff involved as well, at least on his part. But it escalated, especially during the pandemic when they were trapped in a house together. They were actually divorced by this point, but she let him stay because he didn't have anywhere else to go. And there were points where we'd hear these things that he would say to her. He would say, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. We'd hear her like being physically abused. It eventually escalated to that point. And... I would say to my husband, like, he is going to kill her. Like, he is going to kill her. And then I would think to myself, like, am I just being dramatic because I listen to too much true crime? And sure enough, my gut was right. Like, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. We've said it on this show before. And sure enough, after some time, he 
tried to kill her and then he killed himself. She luckily survived. She's not without her scars and her battle wounds and not having sight out of one of her eyes. Horrible, but, horrible, yeah, horrible. It's a horrible, horrible situation. But if you feel like there is a dangerous situation, if you see something, say something. Do something about it. These situations never get better. They only get worse. And trust your gut. Trust your gut. In a private exchange with her mother on Facebook, just days before her murder, Ava Marie described how Yoel would one day murder her without warning. Quote, But people think I'm exaggerating, she wrote. I live on, and if it happens, it will happen. She goes on to write that social services were informed that Yoel is erratic and dangerous. Quote, He's not the type who will threaten before. He's had guns both at home and hidden in other places before. He has a wounded pride and nothing to lose. She goes on to add, if people are so naive that they think he will just leave without protest, then yeah, I have at least told those around me. So you can say later, she was scared. Zanitha was worried about her daughter and wrote back to her saying she should travel and be with her. One would reckon to protect her from Yoel. But Ava Marie answers, actually, nothing can be done about it. I have accepted it now. If it happens, it happens. No one listens and can protect me. At least I know that if something happens, he will do it without warning. Yikes. Yoel was sentenced to 18 years in prison, yet he is still legally in charge of his children. Ava Marie's family do not know where her children currently live. Take that last set of facts in for a moment. Yoel murdered their mother, but is still in charge of the children's welfare. For years after her daughter's murder, Zanitha asked social services to let her see her grandchildren, but her request went unanswered. She didn't even ask for custody, only to visit them briefly. She said, it feels appalling to be ignored to this degree. Eventually, a social worker finally reached out and told her they had determined the children didn't need her in their lives. This is one of the tragedies that happens with these types of cases is that these children lose both of their parents. You know, one's in jail, one's dead. And of course they would need a grandparent in their lives. And the social services decides, no, we're going to be the caretakers of these kids and we're going to decide who they see when they see them and if that person is good enough in our eyes. Okay, It's, it's all about judgment. So it's like the children don't need their grandmother, but apparently they need a homicidal maniac father and his family. I'm just baffled by that. Zanitha is heartbroken and just wants to tell the children how much she loves them and how much their mother loved them. But she feels the government sees her as a bad person, guilty by association, even though her daughter never broke any laws. She has vowed to do whatever it takes to tell her story and bring Ava Marie and the children justice for the way they have been treated. So, Catherine, you were able to contact Petite Jasmine's mother. I was. And so we had to use a lot of Google Translate in order to communicate. But I found her and communicated with her and talked about her experience, what's happened in the years since Ava Marie's death. And actually, she is a fan of your work, Phelps. She is very wow. familiar with you and wow. the advocacy work you do as well. So That's great. So I asked Zanitha for an update um, and what's gone on since the murder. Here's what she had to say. 
A murder leaves us relatives completely without justice. We're left with the pain, the loss, and the emptiness, and nothing else. I then asked her if she has any updates on the children and what became of them. She answered, No, I've not been allowed to see the children. I'm still being punished. I don't know where they live, if they're together, if they've received the right kind of help, if they have been told the truth, or something else. When we talked about how she'd want her daughter to be remembered, she said, Like my daughter, I believe that the woman's right to her own body is total and that it's the woman's choice if she wants to exchange sexual services for money. Ava Marie's goal was for women and men to be as accepted in society as any worker. As a parent, I can only say that I wish families would not judge their children because of their choices in life or sexual orientation. How do I want people to remember my daughter? Like the strong little woman she was, the one who stood on the side of the weak, the one who gave voice to those who did not dare raise theirs or who could not speak out, the one who dared to take the fight for everyone, even though she lost everything, including her life. Wow. I mean, I'm very appreciative that we're able to give the victim's family a voice in this and that her mom said some very powerful things there. And the fact that she's still not allowed to see those children is just blows my mind. It's remarkable. Yeah. She knows nothing about them. It's crazy. They've been kept completely from her and from half of their family. Well, we'll continue to follow this case. And if there's any updates, we'll certainly post them. Absolutely. So there's a murder that could have been, scratch that, should have been prevented. In the aftermath of Petit Jasmine's murder, European activists and sex worker communities rallied and held memorials in her honor. And I just want to conclude by saying that Jasmine was an active member of the Rose Alliance, the Swedish sex worker rights organization, which fights against stigma and for the rights to work, health and safety for sex workers in Sweden and worldwide. And look, this was a different type of story for crossing the line. I mean, she was murdered. But the reason that Catherine and I wanted to do this is because Petite Jasmine's story is unknown. It's not talked about. It should be talked about. And people need to know what's going on in the world, that people are being deprived of their children who should have access to them. You know, while this case might have been centered in Sweden, in Scandinavia, this shit's going on all over the world, but it's definitely going on in the United States. I I mean, I hear from women who are fighting to have access to their children because they made one mistake earlier in their life. And it breaks my heart that I can't do anything. I mean, I can tell the stories, but ultimately, you know, it's up to politicians to change the stuff. And we heard about politicians in this episode and how they act, right? It's all about how they look. It's all about their party. It's not about the people. So that's it for this week. Join me next time for a deep dive into a not-so-familiar murder case you will definitely not believe. Sources for today's episode come from the DecriminalizeSex.WorkHeroes page, Pleasure for Sale, Ava Maria's blog. You can find a link to this on CrossingTheLine.biz. 
Everything's Better Than a Hooker, a 2018 documentary feature, Art Productions. 31-year-old man requested custody, July 13th, 2013, Afton Blade, Oscar Forsberg. Ava Marie's own words about meeting with her son, Eric Hogstrom and Asa Asplid, Expressin, July 13th, 2013. And Phelps would like to thank Rachel McGrath for additional research. Crossing the Line is a production of iHeartRadio. It's executive produced by me, M. William Phelps, and iHeart executive producer, Catherine Law. Special thanks to producer Rose Bacci and EP Christina Everett. Audio engineering, original music, and sound design by Matt Russell. Additional thanks to Will Pearson at iHeartRadio. The series theme, number 444, is written and performed by Thomas Phelps and Tom Mooney. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.